there are at least two ways to see the Messiah's presence in the Old Testament. The chief would be the Lord's messenger. Dr. Reed Lessing, co-author of the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. The second way we see the presence of Jesus in the Old Testament would be through God's glory. Learn more about the Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. The hymn, What God Ordains is Always Good, a fitting hymn to be singing this coming Sunday when we hear from the gospel reading in Matthew chapter 6, Do not be anxious. My God indeed in every need knows well how he will shield me. To him then I will yield me. Welcome back to Issues Etc. Coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It's time to look forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, the 15th Sunday after Trinity, Pastor Peter Bender joins us. He is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, welcome back. Good to be with you, Todd. What does the first commandment have to do with the propers for this coming Sunday? That's a good question. You shall have no other gods. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things, Luther says in the small catechism. And our God is saying to us in this commandment, trust me, I've created you. Trust me, everything that you are and have and need, look to me for it. I've created you, I've made you, and when you fell into sin, I've redeemed you with the blood of my son, do not be afraid. Trust me. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, or your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all that you need shall be yours. Trust me. This is what's behind the first commandment. Trust for God. The first commandment demands faith, a faith that we are wholly incapable of giving because of our sinful nature. And yet that's what the first commandment calls for. And it is the gospel that creates in our hearts and that gives the faith that the first commandment demands. So our theme for this particular Sunday really revolves around the first commandment, trust me. And from Jesus' words in the gospel, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. So we'll talk about that when we get into the gospel for the day, but we've often talked about catechism connections, and there's lots of catechism connections we could make today, but I would really focus on the first commandment where the triune God of love is saying to us, trust me. And the invitation to seek first his kingdom is to look to Christ, to follow Christ, and to look to his righteousness. And he who has the Lord Jesus and his righteousness, all of life then is in proper perspective. 
even the suffering and the hardship of life. And that leads into the hymn of the day, Lutheran Service Book 760, What God Ordains is Always Good. And that's a confession born out of a faith that is framed in terms of the first commandment. What God ordains is always good. His will is just and holy. As he directs my life for me, I follow meek and lowly. My God indeed in every need knows well how he will shield me. To him then I will yield me. And what the hymn of the day does, Todd, is that it asserts something that is so wonderful about the Christian faith, mysterious about the Christian faith, confounding to the world around us, that we as Christians who trust in the Lord Jesus and who cling to him with all of our heart, we look at life so radically different from the unbelieving, idolatrous world. For us, we'll look at hardship or sickness or suffering or some other calamity of life and say, you know, the God who says, trust me, the God who has given me his only begotten son has said, I'm going to accomplish something good out of this. Do not be afraid. And that's what's behind this hymn, those kinds of assertions. Since God gave me his only begotten son to the death of the cross, he bore my sins. He bore the horror of death, the condemnation of the law, the punishment that I deserve. Then I know that what God ordains is always good. He never will deceive me. He leads me in his righteousness, and never will he leave me. I take content what he has sent. His hand that sends me sadness will turn my tears to gladness. Notice how in that stanza too, the word righteousness is contained. He leads me in his righteousness. That's the righteousness of Christ. If I have the righteousness of Christ, I need fear no foe. What God ordains is always good. His loving thought attends me. No poison can be in the cup that my physician sends me. My God is true. Each morning new, I trust his grace unending, my life to him commending. What a great line this is in stanza three. His loving thought attends me. No poison can be in the cup that my physician sends me. And see, natural man, human reason, the idolatrous flesh can see no good in the, what we might call the poisons of life. But God promises, according to the gospel, to work his greatest good on our behalf. The devil would say to us in the midst of suffering and in the midst of the bad stuff that happens to us, God doesn't care for you. He doesn't love you. You can't trust him, which of course would be sin against the first commandment. But God is saying through the same things, look to me, trust me. Not only can you depend upon me, but I will work my good in your life through these things that you suffer. So what God ordains is always good. He is my friend and father. He suffers not to do me harm, though many storms may gather. Now I may know both joy and woe. Someday I shall see clearly that he has loved me dearly. What God ordains is always good, though I the cup am drinking, which savors now of bitterness. I take it without shrinking. For after grief God gives relief, my heart with comfort filling, and all my sorrow stilling. 
what God ordains is always good. This truth remains unshaken. Though sorrow, need, or death be mine, I shall not be forsaken. I fear no harm, for with his arm he shall embrace and shield me. So too, my God, I yield me. Now, Todd, before leaving the hymn of the day that so beautifully captures the theme for the 15th Sunday after Trinity, I have to point out the fact that a Christian singing this might say to us, this isn't me. I can't make this kind of bold confession that the hymn makes. Those aren't the assertions that I have. And I understand that. And I think the emphasis also for this 15th Sunday after Trinity is that it is ultimately and finally God's grace in the gospel that creates out of unbelief these kinds of deep convictions of the faith. So what we need more of is to meditate then upon the kingdom of God, his righteousness to us in Christ, what that means as the foundation and basis for our faith and our capacity to accept hardship and difficulty and to make that good confession what God ordains is always good. I may not fully understand it now, but I shall someday. What is the collect for the day? O Lord, we implore you, let your continual pity cleanse and defend your church. And because she cannot continue in safety without your aid, preserve her evermore by your help and goodness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. This particular collect is addressed to the Lord on behalf of the entire church as opposed to simply the individual Christian. And if we continue this theme of the first commandment, the collect notes in a subtle yet powerful way that the assertions of the first commandment are not that which create faith. In other words, we could pound, thou shalt have no other gods, thou shalt have no other gods, trust only God, and it's not going to produce the kind of faith that the first commandment demands. So this collect subtly picks up on that. Let your continual pity cleanse and defend your church. If you look at the Old Testament church of Israel, how he pitied and cleansed them, how he came to their aid when they were those of little faith. And he does the same thing for the church in the New Testament. Because she cannot continue in safety without your aid. Preserve her evermore by your help and goodness. So it is the help of the Lord given to us when we're helpless. It's the goodness of the Lord that comes to us when there is no good in us. It is the gracious providence of the Lord in our daily care and it is the grace of our Lord in the gift of his only begotten Son, who dies for us while we're yet sinners. It is that which creates the faith that the first commandment demands. And the Kala picks up on this. We cannot continue in safety without God's aid. Preserve us evermore by your help and goodness. And that's what he does. And he does it for us. And, and he preserves the world. And he causes the rain and the sun to fall and to shine upon believer and unbeliever alike. And it is the gospel then of God's undeserved grace that 
teaches us to interpret these things. So out of his grace and help and goodness, he establishes faith, creates faith, and preserves his church and each individual Christian. The intro is pulled from Psalm 86. How does it read? Now this intro is in the first person. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. When hearing this intro, it we're not able to see the differences in the word Lord. Some of the references to Lord are in English put in all caps because they are the direct name of the God of the promise of salvation, the Lord, the I am who appeared to Moses at the burning bush. And then this Lord, that would be his proper name, is my Lord, the one whom I trust. So you can see that playing back and forth, incline your ear, O Lord, with all caps, the great I am, answer me, save your servant who trusts in you, you are my God. So this is the God we worship. For us as New Testament Christians, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he is the Lord. He is my God whom I worship. Be gracious to me. I cry to you all the day. You also see in the intro it this faith on the one hand and desperate need on the other. And so much of the Psalter captures the confidence of faith created by God's grace and spirit in the gospel on the one hand, and then the doubts and the assaults that plague us on the other hand. So you see this sort of battle between the new nature of faith in Christ created by the gospel and the old nature of the old Adam that is afflicted with doubt and fear. And so gladden the soul of your servant. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. You know, in me, I'm weak. You are my strength. Listen to my plea for grace and so forth. So in that sense, it becomes an exposition of the first commandment. And what we hear elsewhere in the New Testament, I believe, help my unbelief. Incline your ear. You are the strength of your servant. Save the son of your maidservant, which is what we all are. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. We'll get into the Alleluia verse in Psalm 95, leading into that gospel reading in Matthew 6, next. Issues Etc. regular guests Dr. Reed Lessing and Dr. Andrew Steinman are the authors of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. This new book is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040, or learn more about The Messianic Message at issuesetc.org. Study the Old Testament through a Christ-centered lens with the Issues Etc. Book of the Month, The Messianic Message.
solid, serious, substantive. You're listening to Issues Etc. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. He is guiding us as we look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. Headed toward the Gospel reading in Matthew 6, beginning at verse 24. Take us to the Alleluia verse in Psalm 95 that does that, Peter. Alleluia, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Alleluia. Now, you will recognize here that this is the first verse, not only of Psalm 95, but of what we have come to know as the canticle, the Venite, the principal opening canticle from the Psalter in the Matins service. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And some congregations that have every Sunday communion, every divine service communion, sometimes lament that boy, we don't sing matins anymore. And I would suggest that this is a great Sunday where the Alleluia verse for the week could simply be the congregation as a whole singing the Venite after the epistle and setting up the gospel from Matthew chapter 6. Sing out that entire Venite, which has Psalm 95 verse 1 as its basis. The second thing I'd like to say about the verse for the week is that if you remember that Psalm 95 talks about how they grumbled and complained, the Old Testament children of Israel, there at the Red Sea, and then after they crossed the Red Sea, they didn't have water and they're grumbling and complaining against the Lord. And what did he do? He still provided for their needs, manna from heaven, water from the rock. And so the end of the Venite, which we don't sing, but the end of Psalm 95, you know, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart. And what the Lord wishes us to be open to then on the basis of Psalm 95 as a whole is that he has literally provided absolutely everything that we need both temporally and spiritually, for life and salvation to support us in every way. Therefore, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. And that sets up 
the words of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount, the Gospel for the Day from Matthew chapter 6. Take us into that, if you would. The words of Jesus, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the gospel of the Lord. Now, Todd, I'd like to take us back to the beginning of this reading. It is the Sermon on the Mount, which, as Matthew indicates at the beginning of chapter 5, when the sermon begins, he saw the multitudes coming toward him, and then he turned to his disciples and said, and then it begins with the Beatitudes. This is all a part of that. This is a word that he is addressing to his disciples. And for us, it is addressed to the baptized faithful. And so I think apart from our baptism into Christ, apart from the creation of faith in the Lord Jesus, it becomes difficult for us to understand something like the Sermon on the Mount and these words as anything more than moralism or a description of ethical behavior. But these words of Jesus are deeply rooted in what it means to be a Christian in this life and to be called by the gospel to faith in Christ. So it begins, no one can serve two masters. Clearly, he is talking right at the outset about idolatry. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, I want to tell you that this verse has troubled me for a long time. Not that I necessarily fully understand it even today, 
Because what is he on about when he says he will either hate the one or love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other? And part of the key to understanding this goes back to what I said about being a baptized Christian. On the one hand, as a baptized Christian, I believe in Christ. I trust in him with all my heart. Lord, thee I love with all my heart. On the other hand, there is present within me this mistrusting, unbelieving old nature. And it causes in the Christian times in which it seems as if I even hate God because I can't do the things that I want to do as a Christian. You see this somewhat in Luther's discussion of his own personal life. I hated the God who in the law demanded such goodness from me that I could not give and then damned me for not being able to give it. And so when we have this conflict between faith in Christ on the one hand and the mistrust of the idolatrous faith of the old Adam on the other, it can turn us inside out and upside down. Who is our God? Who do we love? Who do we trust in? To be a Christian, finally, repentance and faith that he calls us to is a daily return to this great truth. God is my creator and my savior. The Lord Jesus has redeemed me with his holy precious blood. It's only when we are, by the grace of God, returned to that, that we can love God with all our heart and hate the false gods that we are otherwise tempted to place our trust in. But when we're living in a state of impenitence or when we're plagued with such anxiety and doubt, sometimes the loves are turned upside down. So it is as if we are loving the things that we want that we don't have and hating the God that we have and who is our only good whom we should actually love. Jesus is presenting this paradox. You know, you can't continue to either walk in the ways of impenitence and unbelief or walk in the ways of faith. It's one or the other. And we find ourselves betwixt and between quite often. And here again, at the outset, I say that what we need then to hear is the gospel of God's grace for us in that condition of our idolatrous, faithless weakness. And I submit to you, that's what Jesus does then in the rest of this pericope from Matthew 6, the gospel for today. He says, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That's an invitation. Trust me. I've created you and I've not only created you, I've redeemed you. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And notice how he emphasizes the grace of God in the gospel, which is greater than any temporal need. He says, is not life more than food? That's a rhetorical question. And the body more than clothing? That's a rhetorical question. Yes, it is more than food. It is more than clothing for the body. Well, what is it then? If it's more than food, if it's more than clothing, what is it? It is to know Christ the kingdom of God in Jesus, and the righteousness that comes as a free gift of his grace. Then he emphasizes grace. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Notice he draws attention to their works. 
It's not their sowing or their reaping that feeds them or protects them. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Grace for birds of the air. And then he asks another rhetorical question. Are you not of more value than they? Well, of course you are. Because I've created you in my own image and likeness. I've redeemed you with the precious blood of my son. In holy baptism, I have called you. You are mine. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? It's important to note when he talks about anxiousness here that anxiety, anxiousness, is a byproduct of a works righteous faith, where we're striving to take care of all of the problems of our life so that we are satisfied and have every bit of food that we need and every clothing and point of protection and safety and so forth. But that's not where it's at. Where it's at is in receiving what God gives. So why are you anxious about clothing? Here again, just like with the birds of the air, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, so it's not their work. Just like the birds of the air, it's not their work. Just like us, it's not our work. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And Solomon had his retinue, he had his gold and his silver and his riches at the zenith of his kingdom, and yet it was not worthy to be compared with the gift given to the lilies of the field by the God who is our creator and our savior. So then he says, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you O oh, you of little faith? Here another assertion of grace. Not only will he not much more clothe you of little faith, he does clothe you of little faith. That's the good news. Therefore, it rests upon the grace of God, not because of our strength of believing or any work of our own, like the birds of the air or the lilies of the field, but therefore on the basis of God's grace. Like we said at the outset, the sun shines on the just and on the unjust, and the rain falls upon the believer and the unbeliever alike. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, the unbelieving nations, seek after these things. Your Heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So it is an invitation to trust Him, whom we have learned to trust as Christians, but the looking around at the problems of life, the needs of life, the threats to our livelihood and our daily bread, we are tempted to doubt. So he invites us to return to the great truths we have known and to place our confidence in him who is our creator and redeemer. Your heavenly father knows you need them all. To learn to believe that truth, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Here, the kingdom of God is no one less than Christ himself, who establishes victory over sin and death and the grave, who gives eternal life and salvation. His righteousness, not of our own works, but the righteousness of Christ who is offered up by the Father to the death of the cross, whose righteousness in the forgiveness of all of our sins covers us. Seek first pursue this. Look to the righteousness of Christ alone in his kingdom. And 
all that you need will be yours. Now, I think this is important to highlight. It is not as if, if we believe in Jesus, then we will have the things that the appetites and desires of our hearts will want. But rather, through faith in Christ and his righteousness, he gives us the perspective to understand that I may be the poorest person on earth from any worldly standard, but in Christ, I am wealthier than the most wealthy king in all the earth. In other words, it is the kingdom of God and his righteousness received by faith that teaches us to interpret the things of life in a radically different way. God has given me everything that I need. I might not have the seven-digit salary. I might be below the poverty level. But what God has given me is good. And he satisfies my greatest need because he has given me his son. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We are looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, with the Old Testament reading, 1 Kings 17, ahead. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventures in Acts with Sons of Sceva, Demetrius' beef with Paul, riot in Ephesus, an appeal for order, Paul in Macedonia and Greece. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Christ-centered, cross-focused, you're listening to Issues Etc. Have you ever pondered the limits of archaeology? What can it tell us? What can't it tell us? Well, Dr. David Adams takes up this topic in the September issue of The Lutheran Witness, where he discusses the fact that archaeology ultimately doesn't prove anything. It simply gives us the facts that have to be interpreted. To learn more, pick up your copy of The Lutheran Witness, visit cph.org witness, or the Lutheran Witness website, witness.lcms.org, to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, interpreting the world from a Lutheran perspective. The Biblical Worldview Conference is Saturday, November 4th in Chicago. This year's theme is, For Such a Time as This, Discernment, Boldness, and Compassion. Brian Wolfmiller, John Bombaro, and others will be speaking on gender-solid parenting, wokeism in schools, transgender pronouns, and sharing Christ in a woke culture. For more information, visit worldviewchicago.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference, November 4th in Chicago, worldviewchicago.org. We believe that reading the Old Testament messianically is not something that is foreign to the pages of Moses and the prophets, but how those ancient documents were intended to be understood To read the Old Testament properly, we must see the Messiah at the heart of those divinely inspired books. That's a simple explanation of what you'll find in the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for September, the Messianic Message, Predictions, Patterns, and the Presence of Jesus in the Old Testament. You'll find it at our website, issuesetc.org, or call Concordia Publishing House and order the Messianic Message, 
1-800-325-3040. Pastor Peter Bender is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. We come to the Old Testament reading in 1 Kings 17, beginning at verse 8. Yes, yeah, so we'll see that the Old Testament reading uh, puts the prophet Elijah with this widow at Zarephath and is a wonderful Old Testament counterpart to the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 6. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. This is the word of the Lord. Now, Todd, dare I entertain a discussion of global climate change in an Old Testament reading such as this? In our world today, there is such hand-wringing fear and despair, as if the preservation of our planet is 100% dependent upon what man does or does not do. This Old Testament reading presents some important truths. Number one, this world does not depend upon us, but it depends upon the God who created her and the God who redeemed her in the blood of his son. It also asserts here, you know, we've had famine and we have had global climate change throughout the history of the planet since the fall into sin and the curse of the fall. Elijah's words to this widow, we do well to hear, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it, bring it to me, and afterward make something for yourself and your son. The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the Lord sends rain upon the earth. See, we actually as Christians believe it's the Lord who makes it hot, who makes it cold, who sends rain, who sends drought. And he does so for his own purposes. Could it be that through the things that we suffer in this life, that he 
is giving occasion to the church to preach a message of don't make an idol out of yourself, out of human ingenuity and science, upon human works and actions, as if by your own efforts, O worldly ones, you can save the planet. There's only one Savior who can save the planet. Could it be that the drought and the climate change that we endure are a call by the Lord, as the curse of the fall was, to see the reality of our need as dependent creatures for the God who created us, and more than that, after we fell into sin, redeemed us with his holy, precious blood. Elijah is audacious, isn't he, in this Old Testament reading? It is a famine. This widow and her son, they have nothing left. They are going to die. It is a certainty. No, it isn't. Not for those who believe in the Lord. What God ordains is always good. So here Elijah, who is sent by the Lord to be provided for by this widow who has nothing. I mean, think about that. During the drought, Elijah has nothing. I will send you to a widow at Zarephath. I will provide for you through her. He goes to her and he asks for food and drink from her, from the little she has. That's all she has. But God provides. Do not fear. Go and do as you have said. That's faith born of the gospel. That's trust in the heart under the first commandment, born by the grace of God that we don't deserve, and it rests upon his sure and certain promises. So if we want to talk about global climate change further, we can go back to Genesis where the Lord says to Noah, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat shall not cease. I'll place my confidence not in the global prognosticators whose predictions have so often been wrong, but in the God who has created the heavens and the earth and who sustains her for his own purposes and who promises always to provide for his children. We'll be into the gradual and the psalm for this coming Sunday, according to the one-year lectionary with Pastor Peter Bender, director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy, next. Does this sound like your church budget process at the end of the year? You get last year's budget and go through with a committee line by line, maybe what we should spend next year. Maybe you have a prayer. But where's the word of God in this process? When do the people hear what the small catechism says about giving and why we do it? Contact us at LCMS Stewardship so that we can help you fix this process, put the word of God first, and put your congregation on a good fitting lcms.org slash stewardship. Christological, creedal, confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. 
Pumpkin spice flavoured everything is in the air. It's the perfect time of year to curl up with a nice warm beverage using one of Ad Crusom's mugs, featuring your favourite Lutheran symbols, Bible verses, or Christian humour. For example, Jesus' personality type is INRI. Saint Paul is the patron saint of the run on sentence. And of course, chancel culture is practised here. Visit adcrusom.com. That's A D C R U C E M.com. Memoria Press is a worldwide leader in the publishing of classical Christian education. We have everything you need for students in kindergarten through 12th grade, and our materials can be used in any classroom setting to suit your needs. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 to save $5 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Peter Bender of the Concordia Catechetical Academy is our guest, and we are looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. Peter, the gradual and the psalm, the gradual being from Psalm 118 and the Psalm 146. The gradual for the day really picks up on this theme that we just left off on uh, from the Old Testament reading, not to put confidence in man. I mean, science is a great thing, and we are given to be stewards of the creation, but we do so in the humility of faith, not as if we are God, but as if we are the stewards of the God who created the heavens and the earth. And so the gradual says from Psalm 118, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. So only the Lord is our refuge. And boy, to learn to believe this, to rest your confidence in that assertion, takes away anxiety. It takes away fear. It gives us great confidence and peace. If the gradual is not prayed, Psalm 146 with verse 9a as an antiphon is the psalm for the day. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Then I pause on the antiphon. Those were the people in ancient times that were in the most precarious and vulnerable position. To be a sojourner without one's own property or livelihood, to be a widow without a husband, or a fatherless, an orphan, with no one to care for them. Who else do they have to turn to but to the Lord? And that's the point here. Even if my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take care of me. And that's the point here. So the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope 
is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations, praise the Lord. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. So you have in this Psalm 146 similar themes that you have for the gradual for the day. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. I had someone say to me some time ago, you've got to do something to uh, preserve your legacy. Well, humbug. Every man that has ever existed, no matter how famous he is, is soon forgotten. I think about great entertainers that I knew as a child that my sons, they have no knowledge of these people. You can look up their performances on YouTube, but they had no previous memory of them whatsoever. So when his breath departs, he returns to the earth on that very day his plans perish. And even in the church, you and I have had teachers that have been near and dear to us, but a generation or two after us, they'll be forgotten. But not the Lord. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob. The Lord is the one who keeps faith forever, who executes justice, who gives food to the hungry. We're still talking about the Lord today. The Lord who from creation made all things and who to the present day continues to sustain the creation and redeem the creation through his son. He's the only one whose word is truth and who endures forever. So this psalm is an exposition of the first commandment again and teaches us the goodness and all sufficiency of the Lord and what it is to depend upon him. What's the epistle? The epistle is Galatians 5:25 through 6:10. And in this particular epistle, it does talk about the care that the church is to give for the teachers of the word, her ministers. It begins this way. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those of the household of faith. So the second half of this epistle very much teaches us and outlines for us what it is to live under the first commandment with trust in God above all things. 
It is to take care of those who have taught the word to us. God is not mocked. Whatever one sows, he will also reap. It is as if to say, if the pastor sows faithfully, he is entitled to reap. But if we also, in a spirit of unbelief, reject the word of the gospel and the ministry of the word and sacraments that we have received, we are making a mockery of God and we are sowing to our own destruction. So that's a theme that can be taken in hand here. At the first part of the epistle, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That is the call to live by faith in the Word of God. That's how the Spirit leads us on as baptized Christian. And if anyone is caught in any transgression, what the apostle has in mind here are the sins that lead to a loss of one's faith. And so we are concerned about the spiritual welfare and faith of others. And so we are to come to their aid that we might preserve them in the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the warning against idolatry here, you know, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each one test his own work. So there's opportunities in the epistle for today, depending upon how the pastor structures his sermon on the gospel and on the Old Testament reading, to further catechize in the significance of the first commandment and in the reception of the word of God from our pastors and living in that word of God confidently, even as we care for one another and seek to restore them to the true faith. How would you summarize everything in terms of law and gospel with a little bit more than a minute? The law must address idolatry under the first commandment of every sort and I think in the pastoral care companion of LSB, there are questions under the first commandment. Do I see worry and faithfulness as sin against God? Do I place my confidence in earthly mammon, in treasures more than I trust in God? Do I look to my position in life? Do I worry about the things of life that I don't have? Am I filled with envy and covetousness? So the law must address idolatry of every kind under the first commandment and worry and faithlessness in the face of loss that threatens our faith. And then the unique gospel for the day has got to emphasize God's grace in Christ that provides for everything, temporally and spiritually, without our merits or our strength of believing. And Jesus does that in the gospel for the day. You know, how will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So in other words, he's providing for us and clothing us, even though we are in a position of faithlessness and doubt. And that's a powerful testimony to his grace. He provides for the faithless, promising to work in all things for our ultimate good. And what I didn't focus on at the end of the gospel for the day, I do now. When you think of clothing, and food and drink. We as Christians should think not merely of temporal food and clothing and drink, but of the clothing of Christ's righteousness that we receive in our baptism, the food and drink of his body and blood in the supper of the Lord. If these things are ours, they are the greatest gifts, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then we can rest confidently that he will provide for us every temporal blessing that we need in this body and life. Of that, 
We need not be afraid, because he has clothed us with his righteousness, and he has fed us with his body and blood. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Pastor Peter Bender is pastor of Peace Lutheran Church in Sussex, Wisconsin, and director of the Concordia Catechetical Academy. Peter, thanks. Thank you, Todd. Wednesday on Issues Etc., we'll visit with Dr. Andrew Steinman, co-author of our Book of the Month for September, The Messianic Message. We'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on David and Goliath, and we'll respond to your email, talkback at issuesetc.org, and the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. Join us September 29th at 7 p.m. for a hymn festival celebrating the Feast of St. Michael and All Angels at Good Shepherd Lutheran in Collinsville, Illinois. Hymn commentary will be provided by Pastor Will Whedon, host of the Word of the Lord Endures Forever podcast, along with organist Chris Lemker, orchestra, and choir. For more information or to register to sing in the choir, visit our website, withangelsandarchangels.org. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Collinsville, Illinois, is happy to support the Christ-centered, cross-focused ministry of Issues Etc. Join us for worship, Bible classes, youth ministry, and other opportunities to grow in Christ. We have a Christian day school for children in preschool to 8th grade. We are located at 1300 Beltline Road, Call us at 618-344-3151 or visit www.goodshepherdcollinsville.org.